This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. And welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to women losing their marbles. I am Joe Lipset, and I am joined as always by Jen Adams. Hi, Jen. Hello. As well as Gina Radcliffe. Hi, Gina. Hello. And it is my pick for the month of April, so (laughs) I have chosen to take us questionably out of our lane, and we are (laughs) discussing Species, the 1995 science fiction film starring Natasha Henstridge in her film debut, as well as an A-list cast of why are they in this movie? This movie doesn't know what to do with them. Totally. (laughs) And they're all so young. Oh my god, they're so young and hot. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yes. I very much enjoyed this movie. (laughs) Okay, so I I feel like we should put it on the table. This is maybe not the best example of white ladies in crisis, but I feel like my attention is entirely divided, but I'm mostly focusing on Natasha Henstridge as Syl as our quote-unquote white lady in crisis. Like, I'm so interested in her in this movie. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, it's her, and it's also, she's bolstered by a, a, a really, really good performance by, uh, this might have been her first film, Michelle Williams, mm-hmm. playing, playing the the, uh, the younger version of her. Mm-hmm. You know, she adds a little, you know, seriousness to it, and mm-hmm. what, what, what kind of comes off as a, a, you know, very, at times, very campy and self-aware movie. Right. You know, basically a, a sexy alien who, you know, well, it's, it's basically Mars needs dads. Jada. Yeah, and she's just going around trying to find dudes to be the perfect specimen for her little, you know, happy alien baby, and then killing them when there's like something wrong with them, which is mm-hmm. really, as a person with a health, a pressing health issue, I find this very offensive. <laughs> it's incredibly ableist. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you maybe have diabetes? Like, yeah. right. <laughs> okay, well, you're dead now. It's like, right. oh, you're, un- you're unsuitable for recreating, you know. <laughs> pseudopod through the head you know i mean hey thanks i mean i feel like the fact that he was an asshole is enough reason to just kill that first guy you know that's 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 the big enough flaw that was his his primary issue right yeah i think i could make an argument that this is maybe a symbolic all white ladies in crisis story you Mm. know like because i i really read this and this is just kind of because of my own feminist what have you's, you know, is like, she is kind of a representation of uh, women in general. And I mean, we could extend that to white women and just like the way that she, the ease with which she is able to walk through life just because she's so gorgeous, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the crisis that she is going through is, you know, not having autonomy and not being able to recreate or procreate at will you know which i mean yes she is killing people and that's not good but you know it's kind of in the way i see jennifer's body is maybe an anti-hero kind of movie oh absolutely yeah Yeah. there's a lot of interesting feminism lurking in this film like (laughs) the fact that offline the three of us compared this to both jurassic park as well as um alien yeah we say hot jurassic park and dumb alien (laughs) yes (laughs) And I stand by that assertion. I do too. (laughs) 
but I mean, the the film is schlocky. Like, is it, this is mm-hmm. very much a 1995 movie where we are afraid of women's sexuality, but there are some interesting ideas going on here. I just mm-hmm. feel like there are times where the film doesn't entirely know what it's most interested in exploring. Like, I'm still not entirely sure why we need so many of these scientists in here. Oh, like, yeah. I have a question to the two of you. What is Alfred Molina's role in this movie? <laughs> to I mean, I mean, he's impregnate her, basically. <laughs> Poor Alfred yeah. Molina. I just think he's just kind of... <laughs> He just gets such short shrift in this movie. Like, like he's, you know, know. he's the per. He is chosen as the perfect specimen. That's true. And I mean, he's hot. I mean, yeah, he looks good in this. And and Mm -hmm. I just think it's funny. And I because we covered this on a Patreon episode of Kill by Kill. My favorite part of this whole movie is you know when he's kind of basking in the afterglow after Mm -hmm. he doesn't he doesn't recognize this woman they've been chasing for Mm -hmm. like the past. (laughs) 18 hours but because she cuts her hair and colors it like that, mm-hmm. immediately, that immediately renders her unrecognizable so they have sex of course yeah and because he's mentioned many times up to this point that he can't get laid i don't know why mm-hmm. but so he's basking and she's just like like touching her stomach she's like i can feel it kicking <laughs> and he's just like well what holy shit what have i just done it's not even like oh i slept with the alien it's like oh i slept with this woman who is obviously insane right yeah yeah, and just trying to get my seed yeah now as a person who spent a long time trying to get pregnant i was like ah i wish it was that easy right (laughs) just immediate and you give birth you know you don't even have to wait totally it's like ordering a pizza you've got a baby in 30 minutes and you just snap that body back you know oh yeah <laughs> i mean you may be a little more tentacly than normal but you know <laughs> who among us is not <laughs> oh yeah that's what they tell you you know you get stretch marks sometimes you know, <laughs> your boobs get a little your, your boobs get a little saggy and then you sprout tentacles you know right yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes this is just the green. life cycle of a woman right exactly. it is <laughs> as documented by hr geiger <laughs> Totally. Well, we know, we know that we know that there any, if anybody loved women, it was HR. <laughs> Lord. Oh boy. I I never thought that I would see close-up shots of a woman's boobs where the aerial <laughs> turn into tentacles. So just like, yep, here we go. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, neither of you will be at all shocked when I tell you that I, I read some behind the scenes thing and to no one's surprise in an earlier draft of the script those tentacles were supposed to come from somewhere else oh no. oh yeah. really yeah. <laughs> interesting well i kind of want to see that version now <laughs> i mean there's a curiosity factor for sure exactly i just want to see how it works that's all it's not <laughs> for any kind of entertainment or anything just for and science. Like, just, just send me the FX, like, the trailer reel. <laughs> exactly. I just wanted to see what it looked like in practice. Right, exactly. Just just for my own research, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm curious. Did either one of you see this in theaters or, like, when it first came out on home video? This may have been my first watch. Oh. Surprisingly. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Although I feel like I saw everything else in the theater during this mm-hmm. time this one i did not okay. i think i just caught this on cable at some point uh, yes i feel like this was a mainstay of cable right mm-hmm. because yeah. i mean there is a certain amount of nudity like we are getting 
some topless shots of Henstridge, and Mm -hmm. obviously we have the alien full frontal, but yeah... I feel like you could very easily cut around it to make this a kind of Fox slash, like, I don't know, FX mainstay. Yes, very editable nudity, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's gory in a couple places, but not, not anything that they don't show on, on FX, like, now. Totally, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, so it feels very, like, USA After Dark you know, yeah. back in the 90s. Yeah. Which might have been, if I had seen parts of it, because I did recognize some of it, that might have been where I caught it. Mm-hmm. I, you, were, you were asking, like, what's Alfred Molina doing there? And my question <laughs> is, what's Forrest Whitaker doing here? Because he's, like <laughs> he's like a psychic, but he's also, Ooh. like, like how well his psychic powers were mm-hmm. seem to, to change from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. Like, he always could tell where she's going to be, and yet somehow they always miss her. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like he's a, a detector. Like, it's mm-hmm. he says he's an empath, which, you know, full disclosure, I consider myself an empath to a certain extent because I am very sensitive to other people's emotions. But I can't, right. like, detect where aliens are in the room. Like, I don't know where <laughs> you two are recording, you know. That's not quite Wait, what it is. are you calling us aliens? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I would know. I take it, you know, I mean, I wonder sometimes. (laughs) I just love, like, I love that moment where Forrest Whitaker, and by the way, I am not going to refer to any of these characters by name. because (laughs) it's just me neither. I love the moment where Forrest Whitaker comes across Natasha Henstridge in the parking lot, and then she just gets in this car and drives away, and he's able to direct them to follow the car. I'm like, oh, so it's not just that he can sense aliens, he can literally see where they're driving. Mm -hmm. She feels like turning left right here. (laughs) Sure, okay. Oh, I love a scene earlier in the movie when she, uh, I guess, evolves Mm -hmm. from this kind of like preteen age girl to an adult woman. She's in a in a cocoon at one point, and uh, she's on a train and kills a conductor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the conductor is basically because she steals her uniform, so she's like laying on the floor in her underwear, and like the room is just like covered in blood and, and goop from like the cocoon. Mm-hmm. And Mark Swinnaker walks in, looks around, and he's like. Something bad happened here. <laughs> well, you know wow. he's psychic, right? <laughs> no <That's> shit. <shame>. Amazing. <laughs> what tipped you off there, Forrest? Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Okay, so because we just covered the hand that rocks the cradle, and we had a fairly substantial conversation about Ernie Hudson's character in that movie. How did you two feel mm. about the fact that we have another person of color in a 90s film who is quote unquote sort of magical Negro? Oh, shit. I didn't think about it, but I think you might be right. I mean, that was such a thing in the 90s. I mean, it's, it was kind of almost unavoidable at, at, well, at, at certain times. Yeah. Okay. So I just had this conversation with uh, Scott Woods about magical negroes and stephen king's works and so i think if i were to look at like what the classification for that actually is i Mm -hmm. think two of the big things are that he is helping a white person with no discernible reason to you know no benefit to himself which i think i could argue he may or may not like he i think he might be getting paid for what he's doing right yeah And I think another factor in like the classic definition of that is that he disappears for large periods of the story. Uh, Okay. 
And that doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply. So I think, I definitely think there are shades of that, you know, and that it's kind of flirting with the line because, I mean, as with all literature, there is no yes or no. Like there's very Mm -hmm. few clear cut examples of anything really. So I think, you know, if someone were to say, oh, he definitely is or he definitely isn't, I think I could see arguments for both sides. But it is a very 90s thing. Right. Yeah. It's not as bad as it could be. Right. Right. Well, I was just going to say, you know, at least in both cases, they don't just get killed off at some point. They, they Totally. They, right. they yeah. do make it to the end of the movie in both cases. Because I fully expected him to die in the climax of this movie. I'm not oh, absolutely. Die. Me too. Yeah. yeah. The three people that I actually liked survived. So I was happy about that. And I also am glad that he doesn't have some kind of disability or like right. mental, you know, like speaking of Ernie Hudson mm-hmm. in, the, in the Rasa Cradle, you know, so... It's not as egregious as it could be, but it's not the best. Yeah, I I think it's just because so much of the rest of this movie is like white, 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 white. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, every time Forrest Whitaker comes on, he's Forrest fucking Whitaker. So I'm immediately enraptured by everything that he's doing. And I love, you know, he's got the soft-spoken delivery. So he's really delivering something different than what the Mm -hmm. other actors in this movie, which is kind of like, you know, Michael Madsen looks like he just got off of boot camp training (laughs) and he wants to shoot anything that moves. Mm -hmm. Marg is a woman in this movie. (laughs) We can talk more about her Uh in a bit. Yeah, Alfred Molina, I I literally am just like, okay, and there's our red shirt who just happens to be played by a very famous actor. And Mm -hmm. then we've got Boris Whitaker as the final member of the team. So I at least appreciate that they're trying to do something a little bit different with each of these characters. But Mm -hmm. he's so, I mean, he's Boris Whitaker, man. I'm just like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that just kind of devolved into nothing. I apologize. No, I mean, you know, Forrest Whitaker is amazing. Um, how famous was he at this point, though? I was kind of doing a little IMDb investigation. That's actually a really good question, Jen, and I have no idea, but he definitely hadn't won his Oscar or anything at this point. Yeah, I, I only I only remember him being in Platoon. Mm. Oh, right. Yes. I think he was still very much just a, oh, hey, it's that guy Uh kind of character actor. Yeah, and that was for The Last King of Scotland was his Oscar, right? Correct, yes. Yes. Which also has James McAvoy, someone I have a crush on. So, you know, that's my connection (laughs) to that. Jen, that is completely unrelated to the topic. I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about every single person I find attractive. I do love that half of this podcast ends up being like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing where we're just like, how is Jen going to connect this to someone she finds hot? (laughs) I'm disturbed by how attractive I found Michael Madsen. Oh man, me too. He had a, he had a, he had a very narrow window Mm -hmm. of being being attractive. And then he just turned into one of those like carved from rock guys. Yeah. 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 I feel like this this is before Quentin Tarantino it's like the in-between period for quentin tarantino right because he Mm -hmm. got him for reservoir dogs and then he laid off him and then he brought him back for all the kill bill stuff right right so this is this is reservoir dogs era so he this is when he still looked really good Mm -hmm. 
And then, and then when they brought him back for like Kill Bill, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What feels like this is where I mean, he's he's definitely playing the lead action role in this mm-hmm. movie, right? Like he is guns a blazing, take no prisoners, take you know charge of the entire situation. I always forget that a huge part of the plot not just involves Syl having sexy dreams about him, but <laughs> him basically being a romantic lead with Marg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's it's interesting because um and I figure, you know, this is part of why we decided to cover for this, is Syl sort of uh immediately views other women as competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a whole mm-hmm. there's a whole scene in a in a club where mm-hmm. she just she just kills you know, that poor woman. I know. So off some woman sitting on the toilet and just you know, <laughs> like you know, your your competition for me with every other for every other man in this place. But she does not seem to really perceive Mark Helgenberger as competition, which is interesting mm-hmm. to me. It's like, okay, she is the one who's literally smooching all over this guy that you have, you know, designated as the perfect specimen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know for sure that one of the criticisms, I don't think right at the time when this came out, but over time as the film was reappraised or people discovered it on video and stuff, was just this idea that a woman as attractive as former model turned actress Natasha Henstridge, the whole movie is about how she cannot find a man to lay pipe with her. (laughs) And you're just like... I mean, the movie is science fiction for that alone. Totally. Well, yes. yes. Yeah, she does. She does have to. She does have to learn how to flirt. She does mm-hmm. have to learn how to how to dress a certain way. I'm like, lady, all you gotta do is just stand there. Right. All you have to do is just stand there and like you know maybe you know, give eyes to someone and they're just throwing you in the back of their car. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't. There's not much you have to learn about how to be a woman. Yes, especially yes. when you look like that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, all the scenes of her figuring out things about, like, how does humanity work? How do I need to interact? Even stuff like, how do I drive a car? Because I obviously never learned how to do this in the (laughs) one day I've been alive. Mm -hmm. I found all of that kind of stuff really fascinating. Because, again, we're obviously meant to read so as an alien. But if we just look at her as a woman who is underestimated in some ways right because she Mm -hmm. is attractive people think that she can't look out for herself or that she doesn't know like all the men are so eager to help her and yes i think it's a commentary about how attractive she is but also about how men think that women especially attractive women are stupid Mm -hmm. and still repeatedly proves them wrong i mean she's not a master strategist or anything but she is very adept at eluding these people and i love the moment where she fakes her own death because she knows that they've gotten too close and it's the only way to get them off her back mm-hmm. i also like i also like the uh, suggestion that she is learning a lot of this by watching television mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. i thought which i thought was pretty which i thought was pretty clever it's yeah so terminator 2 right totally yeah. terminator 3 i was totally thinking that Because, like, in my head, when you said she learns to drive a car, the first thing I thought was Trinity, like, uploading it into her brain in the Matrix. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of the scene where she, in Terminator 3, she looks at the billboard and makes her boobs bigger, you know? (laughs) Yes. Which I love it. I do, too. And, I mean, that's an interesting facet of this movie, too. And it's on my mind because I just watched um, 
you won't be alone, which is, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's very much about like learning humanity by watching other people, you know? So Mm -hmm. I had that in my mind as I was watching this and the way that she is kind of adapting herself and picking up what she needs to survive in the world is I think the way a lot of women navigate the world, you know? So I thought that was really an interesting way of kind of making it not subtle at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is not, a subtle movie (laughs) in any regard right yeah and yet you're right there there are some things that the film is making some unique observations about and rather than hitting us in the head with that you know i think a lot of people just misread this film as oh it's about hot alien who wants to fuck Mm-hmm. trying to find someone to fuck and you're like yes it is that yeah but it is also doing some other things like there was a very conscious decision to make this alien a woman mm-hmm. because of what it says about sexually aggressive women right and they explicitly say i think it's ben kingsley said we wanted to make her female so she would be i wrote it mm-hmm. down because it pissed me off um docile and oh well i think i deleted it in rage um but docile right. and easily controllable and then michael Matson's like you never met a woman you know and so <laughs> very like on opposite ends of this spectrum whereas like most women are just kind of in between that because right we're humans you know <laughs> So. Oh yeah, yeah. We forgot you. We, you buried the lead here. That Ben Kingsley oh is also in this, uh, and a bad guy, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. Sir Ben Kingsley. <laughs> I mean, this definitely feels like a golden toilet kind of role, where he said, "Yes, I will appear for ten minutes. Uh-huh. I will not really do much of anything except look sad when I try to kill Michelle Williams with cyanide gas, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. and then I will be killed very unceremoniously in the." sewers of los angeles (laughs) yeah it's very michael cain wanting his boathouse for jaws 4 you know right yes yeah and you know i hey i wish more actors would do stuff like that because it's fun to see them pop up and say you know what the fuck are you doing in this movie well it's interesting that we're covering this and you know sort of bemoaning or laughing at the fact that we have all of these talented actors in nothing roles in this movie considering the conversation we've been having around Nicolas Cage doing a bunch of direct-to-video films to pay Mm -hmm. off his debts and that kind of stuff like actors are obviously human beings and sometimes they have passion projects and other times they do it for a paycheck and the reality is like Species is probably one of those films where you think well, I could show this to my grandkids or mm-hmm. yeah, the paycheck is easy or I've always wanted to be an action star. Yeah. So I'm more just like, wow, how did they get all these people to be in this film as opposed to, oh, aren't they slumming by doing this movie? Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. And I mean, they all were names at this point. But I mean, I think I don't know if he was Sir Ben Kingsley at this point. I don't like it's not like this movie was shot yesterday, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like they are A-list now. Yeah, I don't know that Alfred Molina was as well-known to American audiences so. as as, so. he is, as he is now. Yep. Well, because Spider-Man 2 hadn't um, no. been out yet, and that's no. where I learned about who he is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, given that he, up, up to the point, he had been mostly like an English actor who did a lot of like, you know, right. very English movies. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that that alone, I mean, I think he, he was only really familiar recognized from being in Raiders of the Lost Ark at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. So, you know, it's just amusing to see him pop up in this because he probably looked at it as you know this is kind of a lark 
to do this, you know, kind of goofy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sci-fi movie where I, and, and, and also he's never really known for getting to do sex scenes. So, right. you know, you know, God bless him for being able to get this one sex scene, you know, I mean, so, you know, he might look yeah. back on it fondly. Well, and you make a good point, Joe, and I think about that a lot with Lifetime movies or, like, right. sitcoms, you know, like, you have a steady paycheck, you're not worried about ever really winning an Oscar, but somebody's mm-hmm. regularly doing your hair and your makeup, and, like, you have a paycheck. Like, I don't do my job because it's, like, gonna win a ton of awards. I do it because I need to pay for my life, you know? So, yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's a job just like everything else. Yeah, I mean, I am not a fan of things like police procedurals or some of the kind of low-hanging fruit comedies mm-hmm. that you see dropping on Netflix. But the reality is, is like, yeah, that's a fucking steady paycheck. It's uh-huh. consistent work. Actors struggle when they're off for too long because it's like, how do you get back into that next role? So, totally. you know, Gina, as you said, Alfred Molina probably looked at this and said, okay, well, maybe it's not as prestigious as some of the things I'm doing in the UK, but it's a stepping stone to getting into Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it's a gig, right? Like, right? this is an action film. This movie did incredibly well. Oh, did it? Yeah. So the budget is $35 million, which isn't small potatoes, mm-hmm. but it ends up making $60 million in the U.S. and a total of $113 million worldwide, which is also why we have uh, three sequels to this movie. <laughs> well, and you don't go into a movie like this thinking that it's going to be garbage, you know, and, it's, and I'm not by any means saying that it is garbage because I think there's a lot of really fun stuff here, but I just, like nobody thinks their movie is going to suck or you wouldn't do it, you know, like you want, you have the best of intentions and the best hopes and I've been watching Pam and Tommy and just thinking about Barb Wire and how like excited she was for that movie you know so like in hindsight you might say well maybe this wasn't the best career move but like you don't sign the contract thinking that most times you know yeah in, unless you are legitimately just doing it for the money in which exactly. case you're like all right well right. I, I gotta put food on the table mm-hmm, gotta keep that sad card you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly So you mentioned that this is fun. And Gina, I know that you and Patrick have far too much fun on Kill by Kill. So (laughs) I'm curious, what are some of the kind of standout sequences in this movie for the two of you? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching her. Well, first of all, this train is so cool. It really made me want to take a train ride. Oh, I forget the trains aren't a thing for most Americans. It's no, there's, I've never, I mean, I've been on the Chattanooga Choo Choo and that's it. And it's not nearly as <laughs> not cool quite as the same. But we have commuter trains, but like, you know, long-term train travel is very expensive. Right. Is that a thing yeah. in Canada? Uh, so we have one kind of train track across most of the country. So mm-hmm. most people wouldn't take it as like a primary mode of transit. But mm-hmm. if your destination isn't too far, I imagine it's not too dissimilar from Gina if you like wanted to go from New York to New Jersey. It's like, yeah, you could do it. It's maybe faster to take a plane, but mm-hmm. uh it's a more scenic way if you wanted to get some work done while you're traveling, that kind mm. of thing. It looks really cool. I wanted to go into that like rooftop dining car, you know. I had big train eyes while I was watching this. But I <laughs> I also really enjoyed watching her try to date men, you know, like the the quote unquote good guy who like takes her to the hospital and then the shitty mm-hmm. guy who I just wrote in my notes, fuck this guy, duly noted my ass. And then I was really <sighs> glad that she killed him. So that was fun. I thought that was 
it, it's like wish fulfillment kind of stuff. You know, it's like, yes, she is killing people, but these are like nothing characters really. And they kind of oh, exist yeah. to like demonstrate her empowerment, which I really dig, you know, not saying it's okay to kill people just <laughs> for the record. But, but I'm not not saying it's okay. But exactly. Right. <laughs> leaving it unclear. You know what? If you're going to be a shitty dude, then you're maybe leaving yourself open to get killed by totally. some hot alien chick. Yeah. Well, how many girls do you think he did that to that weren't hot aliens that killed him? So, you know. You I mean, that to in. me is how this movie is so 1995, is that <laughs> even though we have a good guy, he's not that good. And the guy right. that we have at the bar who is, we can pretty clearly see he's not going to be great. Mm. You know, she can't just kill him because mm-hmm. uh, he's got, you know, some kind of medical condition. He's then got to try to sexually assault her and then mm-hmm. we can kill him. It's like, right. or she could just kill him. Like she could be a ruthless alien. We don't have to, we don't have to justify her killing all these dudes because they're bad in one way or another. I want to talk about that because I have thoughts about that and the movie in general, but I don't want to step on Gina's exciting sequences. Minor, minor little moments like the, um, something bad happened here i always i always <laughs> thought that was so funny um because he's just deadly serious about it too and then you know like like as if like the room was already cleaned up when he got there and but he could somehow sense that something had happened but no, like the corpse is literally still warm in front of you and you're, by your foot right now. Right. right exactly uh i i do like that she elected to put on a wedding gown yes, <laughs> yes. Oh walk around and that like because she's in you know kooky los angeles no one really looks at her funny or anything mm-hmm. because that's just you know she kind of has this very generalized idea of what a woman looks like and it's like right. and, you know, woman wedding gown okay and yeah you know, <laughs> you know, puts one on nothing attracts a potential suitor like a woman in a wedding gown. <laughs> exactly exactly oh god i didn't even think about that yeah <laughs> I do like that that woman at the shop helps her, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do like how horrified every man she encounters is when she mentions that, you know, she must have a baby. And, <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's, it's just a bunch of little moments for me. Yeah. It has one of my favorite tropes that I identified as a favorite trope while watching this is when um, Hot Woman gives herself like a truck stop makeover with like dye and it like looks fabulous like an hour later, you know. Mm -hmm. So and I know she does it in a home, but still it's very, I always love that. Yeah, I love to see people cut their own hair, give themselves like a out of the box dye job and Mm -hmm. then the next scene it's oh did they stop and get it professionally blown out and also recolored because now it looks movie perfect Uh oh totally (laughs) love it love it okay but jen so walk us through then more of this feminist stuff well okay so i think and it kind of relates to mark helgenberger who i also want to talk about but i i was trying to figure out if the movie thinks that Syl is a hero or a villain. And I okay, found it... Okay, thank you. Yeah, like, I it, I had a hard time really nailing it down, and I don't know if the movie really knows, you know? Because I think there is, like, we mentioned the competition with other women, and while there is, like, empowerment there, are we supposed to see it as empowerment, or are we supposed to see her as a villainous woman who is, like, a not quite a homewrecker, but like close to a homewrecker, like a femme fatale, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I think is the most interesting thing because I think Mark Helgenberger kind of 
just exists as, oh my God, a woman's a scientist, you know, in, in this movie. <laughs> but that in a way kind of takes her femininity away in certain scenes. Like she's never in competition, you said, with Syl, even though they are technically in competition for the same person. Because I don't feel like they're really examining Mark Helgenberger as a female character. I think she just kind of is a woman in this movie, like you said, you know. And the character they're interested in is Syl, but I don't think they really quite know what to do with this, you know. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you that we can't settle on whether or not you're supposed to be rooting for Syl or yes. or you know hoping that they you know, they get her. But I I think I think honestly they're just trying to play to both sides of the fence. They they yeah. know that there will be you know you know audience members you know more likely than not women kind of rooting for her right. and men hoping that you know she gets you know blasted with a laser or whatever. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting about. Mark Helgenberger's character, and it may also be because she's poorly written, is uh, she has like no sympathy for this this, this poor woman mm-hmm. who is just like you know basically hatched from an egg and raised mm-hmm. in isolation and sort of helpless and and working on instinct. And I think mm-hmm. that's the yeah. other thing is you know is still you know is she malevolent or is she working from instinct? And again, I, I think mm-hmm. that's. Another thing the movie can't really or doesn't want to really settle on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was intrigued because initially when we get the kind of introduction to the team, like I love a getting the team together kind Me of too. sequence. And I was like, okay, so what is everybody's contributing factor? And that's when I was like, I don't understand what Alfred Molina is doing in here. Mm-hmm. But then when we get to Mark, if you look at the Wikipedia entry... It says that she's a molecular biologist. So she's, Mm. you know, all of her information should be coming from biology. So she's like (laughs) the scientist who will tell us what drives Syl. And that's all fine up to a point. And then it feels like they just stop pretending that she's a lady scientist so that she can just be a lady who wants to fuck Michael Madsen. Yes, Mm -hmm. she eventually eventually just becomes like the leading lady. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not even a leading lady. Syl's really the leading lady. Romantic, yeah. romantic interest for the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which almost feels two steps below. Like, you're not even the female protagonist of this movie. You're just the chick who wants to fuck the lead of this movie. The female protagonist is the one who we have weird feelings about because she wants to end humanity. But mm-hmm. also, should we blame her? Because if she's just being driven by her biology, then really... Basically, she's a woman who just wants to have a baby. The baby just happens to be something that could kill all human life. Right. And I mean, I think part of that baby wanting to have a baby is wanting to survive, like her mm-hmm. species surviving too. You know, I I kind of read that as like an essentialist, all women just want to have babies all the time. Oh, 100%. And then yeah. Partly, it's like, I, I think that's just something that she is... Yeah, I guess I do kind of land on the, yeah, baby, baby crazy, my uterus, you know. (laughs) But like Mark Helgenberger, like her character really in the second half of the movie really just exists to make Michael Madsen look cooler, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's great and he's hot, but I don't know how charismatic he is in this, you know. He's almost kind of bolstered by her wanting to do him all the time, you know. 
Right, just in case you didn't know you're supposed to want to fuck him. Exactly. She's got Marg here, so right. you exactly. should want to be like Marg. She's our conduit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like that's mostly her purpose, is to sort of point for the audience and say, this guy, this guy's hot right here. It's like, yeah, I know, I have eyes. Right. <laughs> See that, you know? <laughs> well, we're not being entirely fair. She also does fall into that pond at the end, and then she says, I can't get out. Someone help me. Oh, the water's on fire now. Someone yeah. help me. <laughs> well, she also falls into the um, the testing area. Michael Matson has to go save her when uh, the thing falls under the grate, too. It's like, oh, my microphone broke, or my microscope broke. Ooh. And I mean, she did know how to fix it, so that was good, but she also needed a man to help her fix it and save her. But Yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, we are meant to empathize with Syl, like, mm-hmm. and the movie almost recognizes, oh, we've got a protagonist problem. They're going to keep rooting for this woman, even though, yes, she is doing bad things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we make the switch to the Geiger creation, so that we're not relating to Natasha Henstridge, confused protagonist who just wants to have a baby. It's now tentacle boob alien. Right. We need to roast that motherfucker right now. Well, the conversation she has with the woman in the bed, she's like, you would hurt me if you knew it. You just don't know it yet, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think there's like this, which plays into the women competing with each other, but also this like, I can't trust anyone because if she's, and this is where the Jurassic Park connection comes in to me. It's like, she really is just trying to survive. What is she supposed to do? You know, everybody's trying to kill her. So, yeah. Yeah. And she's slightly more relatable than a dinosaur. That's well, true, yes. <laughs> Just slightly. I do think that if they made this movie today, mm-hmm. uh, I think that the male characters would have gotten, you know, unceremoniously all killed off at some point. I agree. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think it would have come down to Marg's character versus Syl. Mm-hmm. And it sort of take, and then it becomes even more of a, a of shades of alien. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I'm intrigued. Have either of you seen the sequel? No. Okay, so I ended up just watching the second <laughs> one, and then I started to watch the third one, and the decrease between two and three is so bad because it's yeah. a directed video. Like, And I'm mm-hmm. not shitting on directed videos, but this one was like, we have no budget. We're shooting in an attic. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. The second one, written by the same screenwriter as this, but directed by someone different. So we're not getting that Dante's Peak action like we're getting here. <laughs> The second one is actually, so they bring back Michael Madsen and they bring back Marg Helgenberger. They do not bring back Forrest Whitaker and don't even explain where he is. It's kind of funny. It's fine. You're like, oh, fantastic. He's free. Let him be. Yeah. At least you won't die in this one. Yeah. He asked for too much money. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. But it's interesting because Marg is very much the kind of de facto, like she has taken on the Forrest Whitaker empathy role. So she has reproduced Syl as a more docile version uh, named Eve. And she has raised Eve and they keep all men out of the compound. So it's an entirely female fronted military organization. And they're actually kind of friends. And then this male astronaut gets infected when he comes back down to Earth. And he keeps trying to procreate with women. But every time he does, they end up dying horribly. There's actually really, really good gore effects if people are Mm. in it for the gore. But uh, he ends up producing all of these like little bastard broody kind of children. And he puts them into cocoons up in the wall. But 
his ultimate goal is to mate with Eve because she's the only woman who can actually survive the process. And of course, it's about like how she gets horny for him and he gets Uh horny for her. But it ends up being that Marg's character relates to Eve, the Natasha Henstridge character, so well that Eve ends up actually sacrificing herself to save humanity. So it becomes two women working together to defeat this monstrous, disgusting man. Oh, okay, I have to see, I like see this that. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's my jam. That sounds way better than the impression that I got. Yeah, the gender politics are more interesting. The boom is quite a bit slower because we don't have the kind of chase. Like, the male astronaut dude is basically just walking around, like, killing women mm-hmm. by sexing them to death. <laughs> oh, yeah, you. Ha- I was on board until that. And then I was like, <laughs> mm, maybe I'll have to consider this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not turning it down, but you know. <laughs> I will say there is a very funny sequence where he has like a menage a trois and one of the women just immediately gets pregnant like we see in this movie <laughs> with Syl. But she like goes into the bathroom and you just watch her stomach completely bloat up with a baby and then it just like bursts open in the space of two minutes. And she's oh. like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Oh gosh. I mean honestly, that's honestly that's pretty that's pretty close to the pregnancy experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a bit accelerated, right? I mean right. when you when you get that when you get that like that little foot sticking out, it's like, oh god, what's oh happening? My god. <laughs> Gina, that's horrifying. <laughs> no, it's true. I, I I Jen, you could back me up that when you get to a certain point, uh-huh. like and they're moving and they're moving around, like you see like little bumps and like ripples and all. I mean oh, it's yeah. cool, but also it's pretty cool, but also horrifying at the same time. Yeah, Corey was freaked out. He didn't want to touch either of them and there's a certain point you get to and not to totally devolve this conversation but there's a certain point where you're like how is this thing getting out of my body oh god then you start to realize how it's going to get out of your body and you're like oh my god it doesn't it doesn't make sense (laughs) right exactly it's too big (laughs) yep right around seven months for me Yeah, I I mean, in some ways, I do think that the film could have been more interesting if we had gotten to explore a little bit about like what happens had she been able to have the child and kind of Mm -hmm. rear it. Like, I'm actually surprised that's not where the sequel goes in that Mm -hmm. regard, because it is really about the fucking and not about the child rearing. Yeah, which makes me think now, like, wouldn't it be a fun kind of Silk Stockings like show, you know? Like, maybe she tries to have a relationship. It's a little bit wacky because she's an alien or like they like, I think they could stretch this out for a little bit, you know, because I was like, this seems like a fun launch launching because when you were talking about the sequel, it's like, well, that's interesting. I want to see them working together. I want to see them learning to see what they have in common. Maybe they're, you know, don't have to compete with each other because there's a one point where Mark Helgenberger says, is she the perfect weapon? You know, which right. I would that could be a season arc, you know? <laughs> I would watch it. Oh, man. Again, just, I know I keep saying, oh, it's so 1995, but also it's so obvious who the intended audience for this movie is. Oh, like, totally. Mm-hmm. Hey, men, wouldn't it be scary if this gorgeous woman was actually an alien and she could kill you through mm-hmm. the sex? And it's so, like, focused on boobs, too, you know? Oh, my God. We love like, boobs. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what? I, I watched this movie. Oh, Mulholland Drive, and it's just like the way nudity was shot in a certain time period. It's just like boobs, boobs, boobs. You know, mm-hmm. whereas like I feel like now you see more butts, you see more. You know, we right. almost saw a little bit of a penis, but 
Right? Yeah, it, that's the other thing, Gina. If this movie was made nowadays, we'd be seeing Dick. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it'd be like Euphoria. <laughs> <laughs> whoever, 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 whoever would be the Alfred Molina in this would be like, just like full frontal all the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'd yep. also be 20 years old and have a body that, you know, a super... Well, yes. <laughs> Could be played by Jacob Elordi. Just there we saying, go. Yeah. You know, I mean... <laughs> with those, with those, fam- fam- those famous washboard abs that scientists mm-hmm. have, you know. They- yeah. I mean, look, lots of time in the uh, the lab. <laughs> right. I mean, speaking of nudity and 1995 and boobs, I feel like maybe we can wrap up the conversation by talking a little bit about... Why does the alien try to have sex and procreate a baby in a hot tub? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, I mean, we a week since we were doing, we just wrapped up uh, our season of After Dark, which we talked about erotic thrillers, mm-hmm. and our running our our running gag on that is do not have sex in water. No. Mm-hmm. And yet so many erotic thrillers, particularly the 90s, mm-hmm. had scenes in pools, scenes in showers, scenes yes. in hot tubs. Yeah. And so part of me thinks that it would like to think that this is sort of a joke that yeah. you know, she saw that she saw this in a movie and thought, oh, that's what that's what humans do. Mm-hmm. They have sex in these things called hot tubs. Mm-hmm. And, but, and but at the same time, I'm not sure I want to give them that much credit either. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I would. You, there's also a very strong possibility that, well, this is sort of an erotic thriller. Yep. So we got we got to have a scene in water. Right. I mean, this is the same year as Showgirls. So I'm just like, <laughs> who's the bigger alien? Elizabeth Berkeley is Nomi Malone <laughs> whipping yeah, that yeah, laundry yeah, action yeah. against Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah. I feel like Syl, like, you know, acts like a normal, more like a normal human being when she's trying to have sex with someone that nobody ever does. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to have to watch that because I haven't seen Joker. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, you know, I can't. I, I don't think I've only seen it <laughs> once. I don't think I could get on the It's Good Actually train. I just don't know if I could do it. I don't know. I will try for you guys if you want to cover it at some point. It is absolutely one of my favorite movies of all time. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I for you, Joe, I will give you. I will give it a second chance. Oh my god! But you're, but you're, but, but you're very limited. You're very limited number of people. I would give it a second chance. <laughs> I was like, oh, that this could be a friendship deal breaker, Regina, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I think personally, I think the water thing is just like male directors wanting to see 100%. women wet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think I don't think it was meant to be an in joke. I'd like to think it was, but I don't think. It yeah. Was. Well, and it's interesting because you you mentioned like see her seeing it on TV and thinking this is what mm-hmm, women do, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, does the director see it on TV and think this is what also, women like yes. too? You know, because I mean, like, who is really in the bigger danger of infection? From oh, women. sex, yeah, yeah women, yeah. and so, and I mean, I don't know. I guess that's heteronormative of me, but like, you know, that just lots of times reeks of like a man writing about a pregnancy who's mm-hmm. never been pregnant, you know. So, yeah, it's just you a just different. See age, boobs right? floating in water. That's it. Yeah, yeah. tentacle boobs, water <laughs> boobs, boob boob boobs. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hey do all the fun stuff in water first and then just get out and you know do it on the side and then continue the fun stuff yeah exactly yeah (laughs) just lay a towel out you know oh my god okay you know what (laughs) that is species so if you want to talk about having sex in the water uh jen how would people get a hold of you 
well, please do talk to me about that because I always want to talk about having sex in water and not to do it. Um, you can find me at Jim Ferratu um, on Twitter and Instagram and co-hosting the Psychoanalysis Podcast and the Lutris Club Podcast about Stephen King. Okay. Not a whole lot of water sex in King's Ove. I mean, there's always hope for the future. That's true. That's true. He's got a new book coming out. So, <laughs> And Gina, if people also want to talk about having sex in the water with you how would they do so you absolutely should listen to our little side project kill by kill after dark uh in which we uh we do discuss erotic thrillers many of which involve sex and water and yeah. we are absolutely which we are absolutely anti <laughs> and we also just in our main feed we do talk about horror movies by the time this goes up, we will be in the middle of Animal Attack April, yes. which we are very excited about. We will be covering uh, Alligator, Jaws 3D, and for our Patreon, uh, speaking of Stephen King, Graveyard Shift. <laughs> Can I tell you, I love Jaws 3D so much. I had the biggest crush on Dennis Quaid. <laughs> oh, no. awesome. looking, looking, looking at his face might be the only thing that makes this movie worthwhile. <laughs> totally. Taking the bullet. Exactly, exactly. And I also write about movies and television at thespool.net. And I am on Twitter and Instagram under Gina Does Things. Excellent. All right. And if folks want to hear a bit more from me, Horror Queers does come out every Wednesday. And I can be reached at Beast on my remote. I have no real insights about sex in the water. Um, <laughs> but don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. It doesn't work any better with just boys. I'll put it that way. No. <laughs> You know, dryness is dryness. That's all I'm right. going to say. And infection mm. is infection. Germs yeah. spread through water. Yes. And water is not lube. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. You want to use an oil based. <laughs> Sorry. That's it. We're just going to do a sex education spinoff <laughs> of this podcast. Like, we'll tell you how to do it so that you don't get infections or hurt yourself. Look, somebody exactly. has to, you know? Exactly. Too much, too much misinformation out there. Totally. Wow. Well, speaking of misinformation, I feel like uh, that's an interesting segue into where we're going to head next. So it's May coming up, and that means that it is your pick again, Gina. So where are we headed next? We are heading to Czech Republic. <laughs> is that, uh, I think that's where uh, the remake of Suspiria takes place. I, I know it is some de some depressing little part of Europe. Uh, but yeah, uh, I am excited because I have only seen it in the theater. I have not right. yet revisited that. That's not because I didn't love it. I absolutely loved it. But it's a pretty intense movie. Mm -hmm. So uh, not one that I personally feel you know, warrants constant rewatching. Uh, but it's a but it's an absolutely fascinating movie and a shockingly beautiful movie to look at considering yes. considering how much of it is uh, body horror. Mm -hmm. and um, heads blowing up near the end of the movie. Oh gosh. Probably one of the most the bloodiest uh, endings of a movie I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I think I'd like to talk about Suspiria. All right. So yeah. excited. Suspiria remake. Here we come. <laughs> well, until we, yes, head off to Germany, I guess we can wrap up another episode of White Ladies in Crisis. Big thanks, as always, to the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad Network for hosting us. And until then, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, the easy answer is don't have sex in the hot tub. But right. Don't. Don't do it. 
Yeah. I would also just say, like, be careful when you go to pee in a club because you never know whose hand is coming through that wall. I know who's going to alien kill you. Yeah. But <laughs> because all is truly fair in love and war, you know. Exactly. That's what this movie would have you believe. I know. Yeah. Love and baby making. <laughs> My gosh. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. I enjoyed Bye. that immensely. <laughs> <laughs> Scream Pod Squad.